I'm Eileen Dunn, and from the God Slot, a very happy new year to our listeners. Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Well, as that opening music might suggest, we're getting away from our usual format to kick off 2014. And in this special programme that we hope you'll enjoy, Rona Tarrant explores the world of divine comedy. Her report begins with these words from Bing Crosby as Father O'Malley in the classic film Going My Way. Religion doesn't have to be this. Taking all the fun out of everything. It can be bright. Bring you closer to happiness. Hail, girls. Hail, Mary. What's up? Well, Jerusalem's become a real drag. Everybody hates me. Uh-uh. Not that guy over there. Who, him? So, when you think of religion, laughter might not be the first thing that comes to mind. Nothing you could say could tear me away from my God. My God. But when you think of comedy, you might think of this. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. We've all got imaginary friends. I've just grown out of mine. Come on. <laughs> I'm quite happy to be an atheist because I think actually God likes atheists better. We're not bothering them all the time. Say, oh God, please help me. I'm a business. Now, I know that this is a Christian country and I, I stand up for your right to be religious, but please know that you're wrong, right? <laughs> But should religion be a no-go area for comedians, or should comedy be something embraced by the religious? We'll begin at home on a small island off the west coast of Ireland, with three priests in an old parochial house. One vanished to the island for reasons unknown. First of all, that money was just resting in my account before I moved it on. Another put there to while away his retirement. Nuns! Nuns! Reversed! The youngest, probably there because they didn't know what else to do with him. You're not going to believe this. Clint Eastwood has been arrested for a crime he didn't... Oh, wait, no, it's a film. <laughs> and not forgetting their housekeeper. Ah, go on, go on, go on. <laughs> Throw in the most consistently awful weather on the planet and you get Father Ted. The series was made for Channel 4 in the UK, but has since become one of the most popular series in Ireland. That's the great thing about Catholicism. It's so vague and nobody really knows what it's all about. <laughs> Frank Kelly was a central member of the cast for its three-year run, playing the role of the old, senile, angry and alcoholic Father Jack. It was the next job. There were interviews. Um, the, two, the two writers, Graham and Arthur, sat me down and they gave me a sheet of paper with all sorts of expletives on them. None of them particularly obscene, but loads and loads of... So I read them as, as what became Father Jack. Drink! Think! Nurse! Girls! And Father Jack was kind of an amalgam of a couple of characters I used to play, a couple of characters I used to play. He was a coincidence in this way, that when the programmes were finally in the can and were being shown all over the place, all over the world, um, a couple of young priests asked me, how did you know about ours? Frank's role on Hall's Pictorial Weekly had made him a well-known name in Irish comedy, but religion was something touched upon gently. They, they didn't win for using priests and such. You can understand it then. It was dynamite then. 
the country was very much in the grip of the John Charles McQuaid regime. But when Father Ted first came to television screens in 1995, Ireland was in the midst of social change. The whole thing about his satire is it's the obverse side of what's terribly serious and often very pompous. It also, we had reached a stage where it was possible to be funny about uh, parochial life. Religion rarely permeates the storyline in Father Ted, but the Catholic Church does offer inspiration for characters like Bishop Brennan, whose secret affair and love child came shortly after the real-life Bishop Eamon Casey scandal. He's the old-school fire and brimstone kind of bishop. And I always think the best example of humour is the fat man who slips on banana skin. One moment he's walking down the street with a cigar in his mouth and an Anthony Eden hat on his head and a dark coat far down his calves, highly polished shoes. He slips on the banana skin. The next minute he's on his bum and everyone in the street is laughing at him. Nobody can maintain self-importance like that. Something will always happen. But for Frank Kelly, who himself is a practising Catholic, there wasn't much in Father Ted that would offend. The only thing that ever worried me in Father Ted was the mass being said on an open cart in a car chase. Um, I thought that was pushing it a bit far. But then being such an advocate of satire and having been involved in it for so long, I thought, no, you'd have to hang in there. Mass today is being offered for Father Dougal Maguire. I've only had one adverse reaction to Father Ted. And that was at the luggage carousel in Heathrow Airport where I met the Dean of Cork, who said he didn't like the programme um, because uh, priests were not, that fun, were not that ridiculous, that it made, front, made, made, made priests ridiculous. And before I got to make clear to him that the whole value of satire is that there's a very serious side to it, our luggage arrived and the conversation ended. And he died shortly afterwards. It's great to take a day off every now and again. It shouldn't be just work, work, work now, should it? Yes, it's not as if everybody's going to go and join some mad religious cult just because we go out for a picnic for a few hours. God, Ted, I heard about those cults. Everyone dressing in black and saying our Lord's going to come back and judge us all. <laughs> no. No, Dougal, th- th- that's us. That's Catholicism we're talking about. But not all comedy is gentle on religion. There is a sort of uh, an an anti-theistic streak, I think it's fair to say. That's Paul Carenza. He's a comedian and a writer for sitcoms like Miranda and Not Going Out. He's also the author of a book called So a Comedian Walks Into a Church. I know some Christians I know have this view of the comedy circuit as being this uh, horrible place where everyone's out to get them. Um, But in the same way, I, I think that some comedians have a, a similar view of the churches. They have a negative view of, of, of religion generally, and that's often why that comes out on stage. But I guess what I want to do really is kind of bridge the gap a little bit and just say, say to Christians, look, comedy isn't all bad, and to comedians, look, religion isn't all bad, whether you agree with it or not. Paul has been a comedian for 12 years and a Christian for about 20. You don't want to say you're a Christian comedian because then it implies that you just do comedy in churches at sort of, you know, fun, fun jokes during the sermons or something. But for his first few years as a comedian, he didn't actually talk religion at all. I couldn't find a way to talk about it that wasn't mocking it. So that took some time, but then I saw a couple of other Christian stand-ups were out there doing some stuff, and I thought, okay, and we had a chat, and we worked out, we had a good, good few talks about the ways you can approach these things. So, should religion be a no-go area for people who just want to be disrespectful? 
you do find on the comedy circuit that the only time that uh, Islam is talked about is really when it's a Muslim comedian doing it. Um, and, and often there's a bit of a nice relaxed air when that does happen because people in the audience are going, oh, great, someone's talking about it. We can talk about it. It's okay. They're Muslim. We can talk about it. I can have a laugh. It's okay. But I've had some conversations with, with some atheist comedians who will say that they are deliberately, one guy said he's deliberately setting out to have a go at religion on stage because he, he doesn't like what religion does in this world. And if we say, no, you can't talk about religion, you can't talk about Christianity, fair enough, but then it gets put in a box and it gets put in a corner. It's, it's, it's the elephant in the room. And I like the fact that Christianity Christianity can be talked about. And for a lot of comedians, religion is fair game. Why, if Jesus could turn water into wine, did he not do other things that were more relevant? I mean, if you were the son of God and you had those powers, you wouldn't organise a piss-up at your pal's wedding. You would stop people starving. That's the introduction to a documentary made by the BBC's Hardeep Singh Kohli, where he set out to discover Scientology. Hardeep himself is a comedian from Glasgow who happens to be Sikh, or as he describes himself. I'm a brown fellow with a turban. That probably makes it easier for more people to understand. Sikhism is one of the world's youngest recognised religions, between three and five hundred years old, depending on how you measure it. I think the Sikh religion came out of a place called the Punjab, the northwest of India, where humour is not so much something everyone has, it's mandatory, you have to laugh. But while he's a Sikh and a comedian, he's not necessarily a Sikh comedian. The, the idiom of my comedy is so clearly west of Scotland. I wouldn't even say it's Scottish. I have this, in a lot of my broadcasting work, it's all laced with levity because I have this belief that if you make people laugh, they learn and take on uh, the issues you're trying to convey. It's like the Godfather analogy. Everyone I know that knows anything about cinema loves the Godfather. None of them are American, Italian or gangsters. Yet what is it about that story that engages people so much? And that's all we should try and do. So in a sense, I'm trying not to talk about being a Sikh in the hope that that kind of rushes in almost unnoticed. If we can have people laugh at their own misgivings, if we can have people laugh at their own prejudice, then I feel somehow there is an ability to start repairing and changing. So religion often has a bad rep on the comedy circuit, and so too does comedy in religious circles. One person who's on a mission to bring the two together is Father Jim Martin, editor of America magazine in the US and unofficial chaplain of the Colbert Report on Comedy Central. He got rid of like the, the Pope Mobile, right? He did, he, uh, he drives, uh, he's driven in a Ford Focus and he drives uh, himself in a 1984 Renault. Uh, Good Lord. Yeah, well the- Good uh, Lord. The, uh, That's, that is hell on earth, a Renault. It's like the, uh, the guys on Car Talk said, uh, you know, a guy who drives a 1984 Renault is someone who really believes in the power of prayer. It's not necessarily the place you'd expect to find a priest, but Father Jim regularly appears to talk religion. Uh, and it's a great way to evangelize, too. Uh, Stephen Colbert, who is the host, uh, reaches more uh, people in their 20s and 30s than I could reach in a year's worth of homilies. And so it's a great place for a priest to be. Father Jim has written a book called Between Heaven and Mirth that looks at the topic, and he found the Bible full of humor. Uh, we don't get the humor of first century Palestine. You know, we miss a lot of the jokes, but scripture scholars say that a lot of Jesus' parables and stories would have been funny to people. 
Like the story of Nathaniel in the Gospel of John. When two disciples come and say, uh, we have found the Messiah, he is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, Nazareth was a little backwater town and it's a bit of a dig. So he might not necessarily get gospel humor, which is why he thinks religious leaders should show their lighter side. My favorite avatar of holy humor is Pope John XXIII, who was Pope between 1958 and 1963. His most famous joke came when a journalist innocently asked him, Your Holiness, how many people work in the Vatican? And he said, about half of them. Another time someone said, Holiness, understand the Vatican is closed in the afternoon. You know, things in Italy close in the afternoon and people don't work. And John XXIII said, no, no, no. Uh, the Vatican is closed in the afternoon. People don't work in the morning. <laughs> and in his book, he says that if you bring back humor, you bring back a whole new side to Jesus. I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Uh, so much of the Gospels are focused on the passion, you know, his death and his resurrection. And that's certainly important. But that's only one week of his life, you know? I mean, Jesus' first miracle, after all, was to make wine at a wedding party, right? He is criticized in his own life, which I think is really fascinating, for being a, quote, glutton and a drunkard. Jesus says, look, you call me a glutton and a drunkard. And as one New Testament scholar said to me, he's basically being criticized for living it up, right? But we have this really strange idea of Jesus as always somber, and that influences how um, we live out our own Christian lives. And for priests, it influences how they live out their Christian lives. But while Christianity has generally been fair game for comedians, Islam is often one of those no-go areas. And in the heartland of America, a group of Muslim comedians are trying to change that. My name is Nagin Farsad, and I'm a comedian and a filmmaker. So basically, um, what we did, uh, myself and Dean Obidal, we rounded up um, a bunch of Muslim American comedians uh, in a nonviolent way, and we uh, took them on a tour of the country. We went to places like Alabama and Tennessee um, and Georgia and Mississippi. These are all um, kind of red states. I'm not sure if uh, the folks in Ireland know, um, but uh, they, they tend to be places where they might not necessarily love the muzzies, if you know what I mean. Make no mistake about it, Islam is a violent religion. Is there a Muslim problem? Look what's happening. We are dealing with a culture that is in its medieval era. If you look at mainstream media, the general um, perception of Muslims is that they're violent, they're terrorists, they walk around in, in deserts carrying AK-47s. Being called a Muslim is, 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 is very much an insult, like when Barack Obama um, was being called a Muslim in the whole birther movement, that was meant to be an insult. And so Nagin and her fellow Muslim comedians are using comedy to tackle things like bigotry and Islamophobia. Al-Qaeda claims responsibility for things they could have never done. Did you know the eclipse? We did it for Allah. The Mormons asked me if I wanted to be a missionary when I turned 19. And I said, look, to an Arab, a mission's a whole different deal. <laughs> I've never groaned at going to a comedy show, but I've groaned at going to lectures. If we want people to have a positive association with Muslims, it's way better for us to create that association with laughter and smiling uh, than dour <laughs> and solemn, you know? We've already got the dour and solemn on lockdown when it comes to like the stereotypes of Muslims. That's, we, that, there's enough of that. But it has to be said that Nagin is what you'd call a more liberal Muslim. 
I'm standing in the middle of the dance floor, and I see this dude checking me out. And so I did what any good Muslim girl would do, and I allowed him to grind up on me right here. And the film has received a lot of backlash from the Muslim community itself. And I think that if I was uh, a, a Jew, conservative Jews would not like it. I think if I was Christian, conservative Christians would not like it. I think I'm an equal opportunity offender. And I, and I definitely have offended conservative Muslims, no doubt. A lot of the film has to do with broadening our understanding of Muslims. We understand that Seinfeld may never have gone to a temple or that he, you know, eats bacon with his matzo ball soup. We, like, we are, allow ourselves to get that, you know, because we understand secularism when it comes to Jews and Christians. And I think it's time that we understand secularism when it comes to Muslims because it exists. In the late 1800s, some European historians said that one of the many shortcomings of the Jews is that they had no trace of humour. Flash forward 100 years and Jewish comedians are among the most popular in the world, with everyone from the Three Stooges to Woody Allen to Ben Stiller. And what better place to find out about Jewish humour than in New York? Um, this boy comes home. And he tells his mother that, you know, he was really excited. He says, Mom, Mom, I got, I got a part in a play. And she said, oh, what part did you get? And he said, oh, I'm going to be playing the Jewish husband. And she said, oh, couldn't get a part with any lines. <laughs> That's Avi from the Jewish Theatre Company 24-6. Tonight, they're putting on a show with Improvadox, an improv comedy group made up of Orthodox Jews. Evie and Andrea are two members. Improv with Jews, really. Just yeah. using um, the, the rules and guidelines that observant Jews would use so we don't perform on Saturdays on the Jewish Sabbath. We, men and women don't touch each other. Um, unless we're given the okay, women generally don't sing um, because men, observant men, uh, it's not appropriate for women to sing in front of Jewish Orthodox men. On the night I go to see them, it's the sixth day of Hanukkah and you can see the themes slipping through into the comedy. Sigmund Freud's jokes and their relation to the unconscious drew almost exclusively on Jewish stories because he maintained they were the funniest and most interesting. One of the Jews' secret to our survival throughout all the years of persecution and, and being kicked out of our homes and having to move to new places um, is the fact that we could somehow find a way to laugh rather than always cry. Um, it's healing. Laughter is healing in general, and, and certainly for Jews who, who've been persecuted for thousands of years, um, laughter is the best medicine, and it's the best way to move on. I mean, I can I can sort of use my own family as an example. My grandfather lost everybody in the war. You know, he was he went you know he was he was living in Poland. He went off to fight. He came back. His parents, his siblings, everybody, his grandparents were gone. He was the only one. But then you look at it, and you know, and now you know, he had children and they had children, and now they are great-grandchildren, and we all get together over the holidays, and we tell stories, and we laugh, and there's sort of, there's, there's that joy of, of survival that you, that you feed off of. But with Holocaust humor, you're always treading close to the bone with a lot of people. I think that in terms of Holocaust humor, I think there, there are, there's appropriate Holocaust humor and there's inappropriate Holocaust humor. Making fun of Hitler, totally appropriate, because he was a jerk face, right? Um, Making fun of people going to the gas chambers, not funny. And an example of Holocaust humor today. When, pa when Pat Buchanan, the uh, politician, um, was, was not in power, but he had more influence, um, and he kind of aligned himself with a lot of like more far-right 
groups. There was a joke that I heard going around that, did you hear Pat Buchanan's uh, father, or grandfather, uh, uh, died in a concentration camp? And someone's like, really? Yeah, he fell off a watchtower. <laughs> <laughs> And so, the big question remains, does God have a sense of humor? There's a very famous Yiddish saying, which I'm not gonna say in Yiddish, man plans and God laughs. And this sense of, of the world of fate is, is one that we can plan our lives and then God has his own plan for us. <laughs> I mean, I'll never forget Robin Williams, one of my favorite routines when he was at the Met. He, he said, I mean, of course God has a sense of humor. Look at the platypus. <laughs> he, says, he says, look at the platypus. He says, the face of, the face of a duck and, and the ass of a seal. Says, yeah, <laughs> and it lays eggs and it's a mammal. What? <laughs> yeah, God has a sense of humor, for sure. Uh, if you want to understand God, look at Jesus. And uh, Jesus is telling clever stories and funny parables. He's putting up with the disciples. Uh, he's fully human. And uh, for this book, uh, I asked a psychologist, what kind of a person wouldn't have a sense of humor? What would that person be like? And the psychologist said, uh, that kind of person would be incapable of relating to people uh, socially, which is the opposite of what we know of Jesus. And so Jesus must have had a sense of humor. People in Iran right now, you know, in, in some cases living in, in an oppressive regime with, uh, with very, you know, fewer rights than I get to enjoy, and they get to laugh about it, or they find ways to laugh about it, and it's a sense of humor that gets you through some tough stuff. And there's a lovely story told about uh, an old nun and a young nun who go out to collect for a charity, and they're in the town, they're doing rather well, and they make loads of money out of the charity. And when they get back, the convent gates are locked. The big high gates, big, big, big high walls. And the young nun says to the old nun, look, I tell you what, sister, nobody around. Well, they give you a hoosh up, you get up and put a leg over the wall, and then you can pull me up and we get over the far side. And the old nun says, oh, I couldn't do that. And eventually the young nun prevails on her and hoists her up onto the wall, pushes her up. And then the young man gets a pull up onto the wall and they're standing, panting, facing each other on the wall. Rather excited by this, grinning, you know. And the young man says to the old nun, she says, I feel like a commando. The old nun says, yeah, but where would we get one at this hour? <laughs> Always look on the right side of life. Now you listen here. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Forget about your scene. Give the audience a grin. I think it was blessed are the cheesemakers. What's so special about the cheesemakers? Well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. Just before you draw your terminal breath. Oh, the meek! Blessed are the meek! Oh, that's nice, isn't it? I'm glad they're getting something because they have a hell of a time. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. If he didn't, I mean, there would be just no point. Like, everything would be horrible if God, if God didn't have a sense of humor. Like, I don't want to live in that world.
And as we all sing along to that iconic and irreverent song from Monty Python's Life of Brian, we end the first programme of 2014, which was compiled and co-presented in New York by Rona Tarrant. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our phone number is 01-208-2039. Our email address is godslot at rte.ie. The postal address is the Godslot RTE Radio 1 Dublin 4. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Next week, we have again something rather special for you, a full-length interview with Sister Helen Prejan, whose life and work were portrayed in an Oscar-winning performance by Susan Sarandon in the film Dead Man Walking. Good